Blog Talk Radio. everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday night. It is April the 22nd, 2022, and the world has gone mad. If you haven't noticed, uh, let me give you the bulletin. The short version, the world is nuts. Uh, Between the disaster in Ukraine, uh, the casualties, horrific, uh, the insanity of Putin, and this quest to reconstitute, apparently, the old Russia Um, it tells you what a dangerous world we're living in. And what's also dangerous is that apparently our own leaders in this country are taking measures that are weakening, not strengthening America at a very critical time in history. If ever America should be at its strongest, it is now. And yet, again and again and again, actions, decisions, and statements by our alleged leaders, especially on the radical Democrat left, are undermining our country. Our border security is non-existent, and President Biden um, threatening, if you will, to end Title 42. Um, And there was just an interview on Fox, and, and of course, this is not a shock to me, it shouldn't be a shock to you. Uh, The reporters were interviewing aliens in Mexico who were waiting to come to America, saying that they were waiting for Title 42 to be, um, you know, ignored, uh, dismantled, whatever you want to say, no longer followed, and saying once that happens, it will be their chance. What you really need to understand is that people who seek to enter the country, people who seek to violate laws across the whole spectrum of laws, really pay attention. They are risk-averse. They really are. Criminals do crimes when they know the likelihood of being caught is small or that the punishments will be small. In New York, we had a major problem with auto theft. Why? And this is going back decades, because generally it was not treated as a serious offense. Somebody could steal a car and within a day or two, if not sooner, be back out on the street. So if you wanted to pick up a quick $1,000 or whatever they were getting back then, decades ago, you stole a car, knowing full well that if you got caught, the penalty would not be much more serious than a hockey player who's put into the penalty box. As long as you don't have a problem with going to jail, especially for a short period of time, crime pays. And then along came Rudy Giuliani with the idea of broken windows, and suddenly if you committed a crime, whatever it was, you were going to go to jail. The issue wasn't keeping the guns off the street, but keeping the guns out of the hands of people who shouldn't have the guns. So in New York, if you were caught with a firearm, you were going to go to jail for a couple of years. So criminals realized carrying a gun was a major liability. It was one thing to be caught burglarizing a house. It was something else to be caught burglarizing a house in possession of a firearm. So gun violence plummeted, which was the desired effect. The criminals do risk analysis. 
I remember a long time ago when I first started to work for the old Immigration and Naturalization Service, one of uh, the old timers, as we called them, gosh, now I guess I'm old enough to cough dust. But back then, <clears throat> when I was a brand-new agent, I had that brand-new shiny badge in my pocket along with a bunch of my buddies. Some of the old-timers took us under their wing, became our Dutch uncles, if you will, and tried to show us the ropes and mentor us the same way that I did as I was ending my career and encountering the new kids back then. And one of these guys, uh, Jack Stern, uh, a real gentleman, uh, amazing guy. We used to call him the Jewish redneck. He happened to be a Jewish guy. He was in the Marine Corps. I believe he served in Iwo Jima. I don't want to get that wrong, but I know that he certainly saw major battle in the Second World War, became a New York City police officer, became a highway patrol cop. Um, tough guy. Tough guy. When he was in his 50s and I was in my 30s, I would not want to have a physical confrontation with Jack because he could have put me in the ER with no problem. Real big, powerful guy and a real sweetheart of a human being. And he, and he sat us down and gave us a couple of rules of the road, if you will, and I'll share them with you. He said, when a cop is chasing a bad guy, never forget that the cop is running for a paycheck. The bad guy is running for his life. Now, what does he mean by that? Or well, what did he mean by that? Well, the late, great Jack Stern meant that the criminals had everything to lose and all you were doing was, was chasing the paycheck. They were looking to protect their lives and stay out of jail. They would study everything that was going on because their ability to stay out of jail hung in the balance. And they could also become quite violent to avoid being imprisoned. In fact, I had to testify at a terrible trial where a New York City police officer was killed by an illegal alien I had previously deported, Ronaldo Rayside, a Panamanian drug dealer who had a green card, lost his green card because of multiple convictions for narcotics and gun-related crimes. <clears throat> so we deported him. He came back. Even back then, New York City wasn't supposed to let immigration know when a criminal alien came back, even though it's a felony to reenter the United States after deportation. Forget the nonsense in the Biden administration parroted dutifully by so many reporters, so-called, oh, reentry is a misdemeanor. No, it's not. At a minimum, it's a two-year felony, and I'm very proud to have worked with Senator Aldemano unofficially, off-duty, as a civilian, not as an agent, but, of course, calling into uh, the battle, if you will, my experience and credibility as an agent, and then over 30 of my colleagues joined me. And unbeknownst to me, Walter Connery, the head of investigations in New York, a former New York City deputy inspector for internal affairs, had also reached out to D'Amato with the same idea, but we didn't know about each other's activities. And we had proposed to Senator D'Amato, who at the time was a senator from New York, that reentry should be more than a two-year felony for criminals. We suggested that if someone is a murderer, rapist, drug dealer, bank robber, arsonist, an aggravated felon, as you would call them, if they're deported and come back, they should be looking at 20 years in jail. And because we got the law changed, we agreed, Al D'Amato agreed with us, went to bat, got the law changed. One of the best things we did, it became the most frequently prosecuted felony during the Trump administration for the Justice Department. It's an easy case. You could put a, a reentry case together in an afternoon, and you could take bad guys off the streets and put them in jail for years. So along comes Ronaldo Rayside. And a police officer by the name of Robert Machati pulled him over for a motor vehicle offense. 
<clears throat> apparently his concern was that he could go to jail because he'd been deported and came back, <clears throat> got into a battle with Officer Machadi for his firearm and wound up killing him on a street corner in Brooklyn. I testified at the murder trial. Probably the worst trial I ever testified at, to see the family of this dead police officer sitting in the courtroom. Uh, his wife was pregnant at the time of his death. A real horror show. Again, this illustrated Jack Stern's point. The bad guy's running for his life. The cop is running for a paycheck. Ronaldo Rayside was running for his life and took the life of a 24-year-old cop. Now, I tell you this because I want you to understand that the bad guys really pay attention. And what they pay attention to is the words and deeds of our leaders. And when um, each administration, when they talked about comprehensive immigration reform, it was like, as I described it during the Senate hearing where I testified, as firing the starter's pistol for aspiring illegal aliens from all over the world. My God, if I could get into the United States and I could lie about when I got there, I could get a green card. I could get citizenship. I could bring my family here. The hell with the borders. The hell with the law. I'm heading for America. Why? Because both parties said we're going to give everybody who's here illegally lawful status as long as they were here prior to a certain date. Well, when you run the border, you're not creating a record of entry. No one knows when you got here. The alien who comes here tomorrow could easily claim to have been here for the last eight years, and there'd be no way to, to refute it. Remember, once the alien files an application for a benefit, it's up to the government to say, no, you're a liar. We have evidence that you're not telling the truth. Unless you could come up with that evidence, the courts are going to rule that these aliens would be entitled to whatever benefit they're applying for. And you add to this insanity the fact that Alejandro Mayorkas, the head of Citizenship and Immigration Services under Obama, who was investigated by the Office of Inspector General for approving visas, aliens who never should have been granted visas, including aliens from a, country, a company that had a potential affiliation with terrorist organizations. He told his people, get to yes, or else. He is now the head of Homeland Security. I wrote about him when, pre when President-elect Biden said that this was going to be his pick to head up the Department of Homeland Security, as I've come to call it, the Department of Homeland Surrender. A few months ago, I wrote about how Mayorkas had then said, that even when aliens lie on applications for citizenship and we give them citizenship, we will, as a government, protect the liars, the fraudsters, from adverse action. Okay, so you lied. Okay, so maybe you shouldn't get citizenship, but now you're an American and the government will do everything to protect you. That's nonsense. If you lie to get citizenship, you're committing a felony, and under the law you're supposed to lose your citizenship, be criminally prosecuted, and the penalty can run to... Uh, I believe it's either five or ten years in jail, and then be deported. Nazi war criminals were caught lying about their affiliation with the Third Reich. They were prosecuted. The, the Nazi hunters went after them. I helped with one of those cases, which gave me great joy. My family was decimated in the Holocaust. I was named for my mother's mother, my grandmother, who died in Poland because of our religion. And so these Nazi bastards faced consequences for coming to America and lying about their identities and their affiliation with the Third Reich and the war crimes they committed. And all that Mallorca said is, well, unless you're a war criminal, we don't care what you lie about. Realize that we've had terrorists lying on their applications for citizenship because their handlers overseas have told them, get U.S. citizenship, 
so you can get a U.S. passport. And once you have a U.S. passport and you retain your original passport, you can change your name when you become a United States citizen. So you now have two passports with two different names that you can alternate as you travel around the world and cover your tracks. In fact, when our um, special forces took out bin Laden, they found in the compound a whole library, including a copy of the 9-11 Commission report and an application for U.S. citizenship. And New Yorker says, well, I don't care. If we make you a citizen, the government will do everything to protect you because you are an American, even though you shouldn't be. But by the way, the same administration wants to hire an army of tens of thousands of internal revenue agents, so if you make a mistake on your tax return, they're not going to protect you. They're going to come for you. It's startling. It's outrageous. I don't even know where to begin. And the 9-11 Commission made it clear that immigration fraud, people lying on those applications for various immigration benefits, was the key method of entry and embedding for the terrorists. But we don't have to worry about that. Because under the Biden administration, the primary threat of terrorism doesn't come from outside the United States, but from inside the United States by white extremists, white supremacists. God help us, literally. Literally. Anybody who seeks to use violence in furtherance of whatever the agenda is, is dangerous and needs to be prosecuted. And I don't care what it is that you're promoting violence for. If you believe violence is the solution, we have a problem with you, and the government should be coming for you. I don't care if you're a white supremacist, a black supremacist, a pink supremacist, uh, a polka dot supremacist. Uh, if you believe that violence is the solution, then you are a threat. And we need to agree on that, and I think we all do. But when you have an administration that is so delusional that they say that the primary threat we face is from white supremacists, what are we doing? What in the world are we doing? Why are we intentionally putting on blinders to ignore the threats that emanate from outside the United States from terrorist organizations? Then the media has been breathlessly reporting, if they're willing to report on it, of how many people on the terror watch list have been caught at the Mexican border. Two points to consider here, folks. Number one, that doesn't include the hundreds of thousands or more getaways, aliens who set off the senses and kept on trucking and nobody could catch up with them. What if a couple of hundred of those were terrorists? Item one. Item two, not all terrorists are on the terror watch list. Most terrorists, in point of fact, are not on any watch list. Yes, we do have some on watch lists, and that's very good, and, and that's great. But there are many terrorists, and that's what sleeper agents are. They are foreign nationals who find a way of entering the country legally, illegally, skydiving, stowing away on ships, running the border, coming in with visas, whatever. And once here, they keep a low profile until the day they get called into action. Sleeper agents. They frequently use false identities. Um, that's why immigration fraud is a key issue here, to conceal their true identities and their true affiliation with terrorist or criminal organizations. So we're getting inundated by people from all over the world and when you have Kamala Harris saying, we're going to go after the root cause for illegal immigration, well, a while back, several years ago, I wrote an article, sort of tongue-in-cheek, why did the illegal alien cross the border? You know, the joke about why did the chicken cross the road? But the point is, while many do come because of financial economic reasons, 
And that's not an excuse, by the way. There's no such thing as economic refugees, even though some of these um, talking heads on even the conservative programs, oh, these poor people are coming, how nice we help them. No, we can't bring the world to America to end world poverty. That's like the beauty queen, you know, 19 years old, um, and they ask her what her platform is besides her platform shoes, and they want to end world hunger. Well, it's wonderful. Uh, when I find the magic wand, I will certainly send it to you. <clears throat> we can't solve world hunger by bringing in 6 billion poverty-stricken people. I, I mean, that's insanity. We have limited resources. America is not unlike a lifeboat. I'm not being mean, and I'm not being um, a, a xenophobe. I'm just being a practical realist. If you're on a lifeboat that's filled to capacity and you feel bad for the people thrashing about in the frigid, shark-infested waters and so you let them onto your overloaded boat, what's going to happen to your lifeboat? You got it. It's going to capsize, and we're all going down. America is in a precarious position right now. And that was why I said that when Biden said he wanted a massive amnesty program, I said, well, I used to say that we should call it the Terrorist Assistance and Facilitation Act. In fact, Jeff Sessions, when he was senator from Alabama, liked that statement so much because it was part of a commentary I wrote for the Washington Times that he quoted me from the floor of the U.S. Senate during the floor debate about comprehensive reform. Uh, this is around 2006 or 2007. Uh, I said, in addition to that, perhaps now we should what it is also, and that's the Overwhelm America Act. And believe me, we're being overwhelmed. And so when you hear the the, the these Pundits on TV, the biggest concern to Americans is inflation. Don't you think adding millions of people to the country adds to inflation? More people come, housing costs go up. More people come, more jobs are lost by Americans, given to people who shouldn't be here. Wages are suppressed, and people lose their ability to pay for their housing. Guess what that leads to? Massive homelessness. There's a bunch of reasons why people are homeless. Some it's about mental illness. Some it's about drug addiction. And in some cases, it's pure economics. We are destroying ourselves from within at a time when the enemies of America are gathering and licking their collective chops. Think about that. Think about that. And so, you know, when, when Jack Stern told us be mindful that those aliens, those criminals you're chasing are running for their lives and they will do anything or everything to evade you and get away, uh, including take your life. This is a serious business. But yet here we are. The Biden administration is saying they're going to end Title 42 and the illegal aliens are lining up and saying as soon as that happens, it's like firing the starter's pistol at the marathon, but this marathon is around the world, and the finish line to this marathon is the border of the United States, or the borders of the United States. It's astonishing. Um, you know, it's amazing to me. <clears throat> People question me, and they say, well, Mr. Cutler, why are you a registered Democrat? Or why were you registered as a Democrat? And I'm still registered as a Democrat. And, and it's almost as though I'm talking about a disease. And this is part of what America is suffering from today. You're either with me or you're my enemy. America has never been so divided. I remember when I took a couple of political science classes back at Brooklyn College many decades ago, the professor said, the interesting thing about America, unlike Europe, we don't take our politics so seriously 
that it becomes a dividing point for families. Uh, and this professor said you can go to Europe and there are families that are divided along political lines. But he said that would never happen in America. Well, well it has happened. How many people do you know that won't talk to you because of your political beliefs or that you don't feel comfortable talking to because of their political beliefs and so forth? America is being divided up, and the lunatics are running the asylum. This whole thing about families and parental rights. Why wouldn't parents have the right to take care of their own children? How dare government try to get between a parent and a child? And that's what happened with this terrorism bit. Families that showed up at school board hearings to protest critical race theory were being investigated as domestic terrorists. How dare you stand up and be an advocate for your child? How dare you? Um, as you may know, I've talked about it in the past, my youngest son has a form of autism. He has Asperger's. And my wife and I became his strongest advocates, as you would expect, and the Board of Education was anything but an advocate for his best interests. We eventually were able to get him into appropriate classes and programs and so forth to deal with his issues. And because of early intervention, he ultimately graduated with honors on a full scholarship with an engineering degree. And he's a very successful and happy engineer today because we intervened and made certain to be an advocate for our son. I wonder if Biden thinks that that makes me a domestic terrorist. How dare you look out for your son's best interests? It's incredible. Parents should be encouraged. You want to talk about inclusiveness? That's where inclusiveness should kick in. Parents and children should be a team. You would think. You would think. Kids who grow up in broken families are far less likely to be successful. It's just a fact of life. Having a stable home life is one of those things that helps children to develop properly. It's not a guarantee, but it's certainly quite helpful. And so you've got a government that's looking to create dysfunction at the family level, at the national level, sanctuary cities at the state level. We are intentionally tearing ourselves apart, and you have to wonder how many people that are doing this to us are being influenced by big money coming from some very evil people all over the place on both sides of the aisle. I became a Democrat when I first registered because the Democrat Party back in the 60s was the party of the workers, not the wokers as they are today. The wheels came off the wagon when the Democrats no longer stood behind American workers but stood against American workers by advocating for a flood of competing workers from all over the world. Republicans, traditionally, when I was growing up, was the party of the business owner. And both sides of the argument, by the way, uh, have valid points and valid concerns. You know, I frequently do speaking uh, events um, for a speaker's bureau that does seminars for the military and the intelligence services. And for me, it's always a privilege to stand in front of a room filled with Air Force brass. Uh, in fact, I just did it a couple of weeks ago down in Washington. It's always an honor have a bunch of generals in front of you and to be able to have those conversations. But one of the points that I've made at so many of those seminars is that the way that I look at the supposed competing interests between labor and management, the classic divide, is the way I look at D-Day and the success of our military and the military of our allies. Who is more responsible? Who deserves more credit for D-Day? 
the generals like Eisenhower, one of my all-time favorites, who came up with the plans for D-Day, which included Operation Fortitude, the Calais Deception. Those of you familiar with World War II, convincing the Nazis we were going to come through Calais rather than Normandy, so they divided their forces, and thus we were successful, but at one hell of a cost. So who deserves credit? Was it the brilliance of our leaders, or was it the gallantry of our soldiers? And I would argue it's both. If it wasn't for the brilliant generals, there would have been no D-Day. And if the soldiers didn't do what they did, we would have failed. These young kids getting off those boats, and we've seen the footage. People should have to see that footage. When I hear this garbage about Antifa, the anti-fascists, the real anti-fascists were those 19- and 20-year-old kids getting off the boats on the beaches of Normandy, coming under heavy fire, watching their buddies falling to their left and to their right, as they continued to charge up the beach. The American kids and the Allied kids who took on the Japanese and took on the fascists, <clears throat> many of them not coming home, or those who did came, come home, came home grievously wounded. Those are the anti-fascists. We don't teach history, so American kids have no appreciation for the history of our country. They're busy tearing down statues without understanding how we got to be here how America became the preeminent power in the world and yet did not seek to dominate the world. Any other country that would have gathered up and garnered the kind of power that we had would have sought world domination, but America didn't. That's not to say that every decision we made was right. People make mistakes. As my parents taught me, there's a racism on the other end of that pencil because we make mistakes and we are flawed creatures. We're human. We're human. We're tragically flawed. But I can't imagine any other country that would have wielded the power that America has and not sought to use it to dominate the entire world. Look at Russia, a third world country with nuclear weapons looking to dominate the world. China, looking to dominate the world. Iran, what are they trying to accomplish? And we are weakening ourselves in front of these enemies who have zero respect for human life. This is stupidity on a galactic scale. Just think about it. Think about it. This nonsense about toxic masculinity and all this other nonsense to divide our country. Um, It's a very dangerous game. And if they succeed, I promise you, China, Russia, Iran, when they cut up the world, won't care about sexual orientation. They will tell you what your orientation will be or you will die or be probably put in a retraining camp like they're doing with the Uyghurs in China. These foolish children that are running around spouting nonsense, incapable of asking the appropriate questions. You know, when someone tells you that you better not question us, run for your life. Anybody who knows that they're right or believes that they're right should welcome debate not shut down debate. You only shut down debate when you know that you can't win a debate. Our enemies, our adversaries, both here and overseas, know they cannot win a debate. So the goal is to shut down debate. That's why the First Amendment is so damn important. And that's why we as Americans should stop this nonsense about left or right, Democrat, Republican, and we should be united as we always have been in the past as Americans. I think back to the days after 9-11 when everybody had American flags 
and the windows of their cars or on little stanchions outside the cars. I remember being on the Belt Parkway in pickup trucks with huge flags, bigger than the truck, waving those flags as they went hurtling down the highway. Americans. Warts and all, I'll take America over any other country that's ever existed. Warts and all. But the wheels came off the wagon, in my judgment, when suddenly the Republicans that wanted the cheap labor, they're the ones that started this business about the amnesty, Reagan, amnesty, the visa waiver program, the diversity visa. Those weren't created by Democrats. I know there are friends of mine on the other side who say, oh, no, the Democrats misled Reagan. Well, um, I don't see any evidence that they have it. I want to see it. I believe it was a decision that Ronald Reagan made um, to, to placate the United States Chamber of Commerce. Flood America with cheap labor, drive down wages, because every company is in the same business. Think about it. Profit. That's why companies exist. Profit. And if you can drive down the overhead, if you can drive down the cost of labor, if you can drive down whatever costs there are, if you can eliminate regulation, you can increase your profit. And I'm all for increasing profit as long as you don't violate the laws or do things that are morally reprehensible, like firing Americans and displacing them with foreign workers, like Disney did, like so many other countries did. And the Democrat Party used to stand there and say, no, we don't want you to bring in replacement workers. Although it was Bill Clinton who started this nonsense with the H-1B visas and all this other happy nonsense. And the motor voter laws that he came up with. But generally, the Republicans wanted the cheap labor. And the Democrats pushed back and said, no, we need to protect middle class wages. In fact, Bernie Sanders, around 2006, stood with the AFL-CIO and said that anybody who hires illegal aliens should be prosecuted. You're destroying jobs and wages for American middle-class workers. He was right. He was absolutely right. And then what happened? The wheels came off the wagon. So suddenly, where it used to be balanced, the Democrats looked out for the workers, the Republicans looked out for the employers, it was balanced. Once the Democrats knifed the American worker in the back and said, screw you, we're going to bring in an army of foreign workers, suddenly the American workers had nobody in their corner. Wages plummeted, job, we had wage suppression, and you know where we are now. <clears throat> because there was nobody saying, let's not do this. So now the debate was, we need comprehensive immigration reform. The only question is whether or not to give citizenship to people who shouldn't have been here in the first place. That's insanity. That's insanity. But it was the Republicans who initially wanted it, and then the Democrats wanted it because they saw a political equation. Because as I've written in the past, the Democrats have come to the understanding that for them to succeed, Americans must fail. If you destroy the middle class, then you make everyone dependent on government. And if you read 1984, it was the middle class that was the most concerning to the authorities. The poor had no power. The poor had no knowledge or education so they weren't a threat the middle class had the education and they were dissatisfied so it was the middle class that received the greatest scrutiny in 1984 they were the ones who had to be surveilled aren't we seeing that now the white supremacists right we have to go after the middle class americans because they're the ones who are likely to figure out what we're doing to them not for them you see read 1984 it's very enlightening 
And now the Democrats have done it again. And I wrote about it a couple of weeks ago for Front Page Magazine. The article was Yale Law School Recruits and Trained Social Justice Warriors Mission to Wage Lawfare to Affect Change Across Every Sector of Society. Suddenly, prosecutors who used to work in partnership with law enforcement are acting as though they are defense attorneys. So when a criminal is arrested, when some dirtbag is arrested for rape and robbery and mayhem and assault and weapons possession, the prosecutor thinks he's a defense attorney or she thinks he's a, she's a defense attorney, and the defense attorney is a defense attorney. So once again, who's representing the average American? Nobody. So the, the workers are not being supported by any political party. The Democrats certainly walked away. The Republicans still want their cheap labor, um, although you had some people like Jeff Sessions and Donald Trump who did become advocates for working-class Americans. And I think that was one of the reasons why Donald Trump couldn't get the border wall. Well, there were so many Republicans who did not like Trump. Look, I didn't like his rhetoric. I didn't like his Twitter. Um, he, he was much too acrimonious. You could attract more flies with sugar than you can with vinegar, right? But the bigger issue was that Donald Trump believed in national sovereignty, and neither party does. Neither party wants sovereign borders. That's the problem, folks. And now the Democrats are at it again. And what are they doing? They're once again stepping away from American victims of crime and defending the criminals who commit the crimes. Once again, the scale is out of whack. Nobody on the appropriate side to defend the victims. In the Democrat world of wokers, the victims are the criminals. You can't make it up. And that's why we're seeing the insanity that we're seeing. Violence across the country on a scale that we've never seen before. <clears throat> Drugs flowing freely into the United States, an open border, and last year over 100,000 drug overdoses in America. Now what's remarkable and I just wrote an article that I hope will be published at US Inc., usincorporated.org in the next couple of days. Believe it or not, uh, we just had a situation where the former president of Honduras was arrested and extradited to the United States to stand trial. So I hope the article will be out. Keep an eye out for it. Please check it out and share it with people. Um, the working title... Of, of my article, and sometimes my editor modifies the title somewhat. That's what editors do. Uh, but the title that I, I'm, I'm working with is U.S. Extradites Former Honduran President for Drug Smuggling While U.S. Borders Are Wide Open. Think about that. We've extradited this guy because it is alleged that he received over a million dollars in bribes from El Chapo Guzman, the Mexican drug cartel leader, leader of the Sinaloa cartel. He was prosecuted in Brooklyn, New York, not far from Chuck Schumer's house, because the drugs were shipped to the East Coast, and the New York City became the hub for his activities. So it's alleged that he gave the former president of Honduras, um, his name is Juan Orlando Hernandez, over a million dollars. It's alleged that Juan Orlando Hernandez was instrumental in moving over five hundred tons of cocaine into the United States from Venezuela and Colombia through Mexico. That he corrupted government 
agencies within his own government, the military, law enforcement, and so forth. So he was extradited yesterday, and NBC News reported on it this morning. So the obvious question is, why are we prosecuting him? I'm serious. Stop and think about it. Don't misunderstand. You know my background. I was an immigration agent, but besides having been an immigration agent for 30 years, for roughly half of my career, I was involved in narcotics investigations. In the late 1980s, I became the first immigration agent assigned to the Unified Intelligence Division of DEA in New York City, DEA, Drug Enforcement Administration. And then after about four years in that position, and I hated giving it up because I was truly in the catbird seat. I had access to all the investigations. Um, it was an amazing overview for me. <clears throat> I was aware of every major drug investigation in New York and around the world. Uh, it was an education like nothing you could have imagined. But then I was given the opportunity to apply to be promoted to senior special agent. So, so I, I went for it, and I became a senior INS agent assigned to the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force. So I'm happy to see that my former colleagues at DEA <clears throat> did the right thing, and they extradited this guy. Uh, again, these are allegations. There's a trial yet to come. But if accurate, think of the damage this former president of Honduras has done to his country and our country. But why are we prosecuting him? Because to my thinking, it's pretty obvious that the Biden administration wants the drugs to flood America. I mean, what other conclusion could I possibly come to? Why in the world would a, would a Biden administration not want to secure the border when we know that we've had record levels of fentanyl, cocaine, and other dangerous, deadly drugs flowing into America? At some point, in fact, that's not what he wanted. In the middle of winter, if it's cold outside, you don't leave the door open. You close the door. In the middle of a drug storm, you close the doors. You batten down the hatches. This administration has done the precise opposite. And as the aliens flood into America, and as Border Patrol agents are then tied up processing the aliens and playing um, nursemaids to the children coming across the border, they are not on the line securing the border. And what does that mean? It means more drugs flowing into America. It's pretty clear. <clears throat> this becomes Lucy at the bonbon factory, if you remember that old hilarious routine, but there's nothing funny here. The Border Patrol is overwhelmed and vilified by the very people they work for. The supposed whipping incident where an agent was using the reins from his horse to keep people at a distance that were trying to run past him. He was whipping them. Those weren't whips. They were the reins of the horse. We're going to get to the bottom of that. Now think about what the cartels were saying to their people. Hey, the government is on our side, not the side of the American people. They want us to come. The cartels that move people and narcotics into the United States have never made more money than they are under the Biden administration. So, again, it makes me scratch my head and ask, why in the world are we extraditing and prosecuting somebody who helped with the movement of drugs that apparently Biden wants to see flood across our borders? Because if he didn't want the drugs flooding across our borders, he would act appropriately. Every action taken by this administration has facilitated the entry of drugs and illegal aliens. It's very simple. 
maybe this former president of Honduras pissed off Joe Biden. Who knows? God knows what their relationship may or may not have been. I'm just speculating, just asking a question. I have no idea. Maybe he's a sacrificial lamb. See, we're trying to do the right thing. Sure thing, wink, wink. Maybe it goes deeper than that. I don't know. But it's a question worth considering. Why in the middle of a drug storm flooding America, a drug tsunami flooding America, are we prosecuting the former leader of the country for drug smuggling when apparently that's what Biden wants? Because if he did not want it, he would secure the goddamn border. The money is flowing into the coffers of the cartels, and they're working in close proximity with China and with Hezbollah. And I've written about it. Hezbollah is operating throughout Latin America, moving people and drugs into the United States and creating safe havens for terrorists that could be called into action to strike against America. And think about this. Iran keeps on working towards the day that it gets nuclear weapons. Perhaps if America becomes overly aggressive in trying to block that effort, they would call their sleeper agents into action. But there have been hearings about this, but nobody talks about it. So we've got drugs, criminals, sleeper agents flooding across our borders. And out of the clear blue, as they're trying to end Title 42, suddenly America says, oh, we're going to prosecute the former president of Honduras. I want to know who he pissed off or or, or who he didn't uh, treat appropriately, whatever that means. You should have to wonder. Certainly the Biden administration has no problem with drugs flowing across the the border. And certainly the Democrats have no problem with legalizing marijuana, uh, which sends a dangerous message to children and other people that drugs are okay. Oh, recreation. I remember I was bitten by a dog when I was on duty. Wasn't happy, a big dog. And I remember pulling my gun out. I could not bring myself to shoot the dog, so I smacked him upside the head as he sunk his teeth into my backside. I turned around quickly. He was aiming for a more sensitive area, if you get my drift. He drew blood. <clears throat> and I, I thought, gosh, this dog that must have weighed about 80 pounds, if he kept going at it, I probably would have shot him. I, I, I'm so happy I never, ever fired my firearm. Uh, in the line of duty other than at the range. That's one of the things I'm happiest about. Most law enforcement officers never fire their weapons on duty. And, and, you know, this notion of of bloodthirsty law enforcement is outrageous, but it's more of the lies being promulgated by the anarchists. Um, But I remember smacking the dog upside the head, and fortunately for both of us, he ran away. And after all, the dog was doing what he was supposed to do, I was in his backyard because we were executing a search warrant, and I needed to get to the back of the house in order to do it, and that's how I got attacked by the dog. But I tell you the story because I remember that after we made the arrest, uh, my buddies drove me to uh, the emergency room so I could have the wound taken care of and they could give me an antibiotic and tetanus shot. I didn't go for the rabies shots. We hadn't had a dog with rabies in New York for decades, so I, I played the odds. Uh, because the rabies shots are pretty terrible, and I, it turns out I, was, I made the right call. But in the ER, when the doctor came to see me, the first thing he asked me, and it, it, it startled me. This was quite some time ago. And he looked at me and he said, Agent, you use recreational drugs. And I thought, my God, talk about words that don't belong together. Drugs and recreation? 
you know, ping pong, tennis, stamp collecting, bike riding, um, that's recreation. Handball, that's recreation. Jogging is recreational drugs. And he laughed and I laughed. He said, yeah, it's a question I'm supposed to ask. And those, those two terms really don't seem to go together, do they? I said, no, they don't. And we both had a good chuckle. Today, nobody's laughing. Recreational drugs, the new norm. There's nothing normal about what we're doing. There's nothing normal about what we're doing. And if you turn on the TV, it seems like three-quarters of the commercials either deal with some drug that could solve some problem for you or with a law firm that's willing to sue the drug companies that screwed you up because you took the drugs that they offered you to solve a problem that didn't work. We've become a drug culture, a drug culture. And I can't remember the last time I saw an effective commercial warning people against the use of drugs and the dangers it does and, and the harms that they do. They have great cigarette commercials, and they've been very effective. People have stopped smoking. The drug commercials, of course not. The drug commercials advocate for the use of all sorts of drugs, many of which, by the way, require a prescription. So I'm not even sure what the point is. It's not like I'm going to run down to the drugstore and, 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 and ask for some drug that I can't even pronounce because it has 48 letters um, when it's something that only a physician can prescribe. But it's got everybody convinced that drugs are the solution to whatever your problems are. That's a very dangerous mindset. It's a very dangerous mindset. It's a drug culture that's destroying us from within. And the money, my goodness gracious, drug money washes through Wall Street, the banks, real estate, high-end auto sales, afloat on drug money, billions if not trillions of dollars. And so we come back to why in the world our guys extradited um, Juan Orlando Hernandez, the former president of Honduras. Just interesting uh, situation. Perhaps his defense attorneys ought to argue entrapment. Perhaps. You know, we're living in a very dangerous era. And Americans have been convinced, coerced, cajoled, intimidated into fighting among ourselves. Divide and conquer. It's a hell of a strategy, and it's been effective. It's got to end. The summer is coming. Barbecues and picnics and going to the beach and visiting family. <clears throat> it's really important that we sit down with our neighbors and family members and friends and have conversations, not arguments, not fights. These fights are no good. I'm so sick of the food fights on television. I can't bear to watch. And half the people that come on to talk have no clue what they're talking about. Um, they were talking about the Ukraine and military decisions that have to be made. And I won't tell you what network I was watching. And then they said, coming up, columnist so-and-so to try to shed light on what's going on. What is a columnist going to tell me? We have generals that disagree with each other, but we're going to have some columnists come on. I've debated people. Uh, radio talk show hosts about the immigration crisis. Really? If you want to talk about whether or not it's worthwhile going to a particular movie or whether or not a new offering by a fast food chain is worth eating, well, that, that kind of fluff, you could have any idiot come on and talk about it. But when you're talking about immigration or national security or the environment, 
as far as I'm concerned, if you really have a news organization, then the people you interview should qualify as expert witnesses either before Congress or at a trial. Otherwise, what's the point to their opinions? Opinions are like backsides. We all have one. And I've always been very careful that when I do go on television, and of late I've been on with um, One American News, I've been on Newsmax TV, I just did another interview for another network today, I'm very careful that I don't step out of my area of expertise because that's not fair to the audience. I have to give you a humorous story. Um, I remember years ago, I was on my way into Fox News. Obviously, immigration was going to be the topic. I had a driver who told me that he was originally from Russia. You know, Brooklyn, Russia, we we call um, Brighton, Little Odessa, you know, because so many Russians live in the neighborhood. My own family traces its roots, in fact, in Eastern Europe. And I remember sitting in the back of this car that they sent me, a town car, and we're getting on the highway, and the driver starts laughing. And I hadn't said anything to him. I said, is something funny? He goes, yeah. He said, you're going to be on television, right? He said, because Fox News told me to pick you up. I said, yeah, that's right. He said, you know, you're obviously an expert. And I'm, I'm kind of surprised. And I said to him, well, how do you know I'm an expert? He said, do you know how many people I pick up and when they're on their way into the studio, and I love the analogy he used, they work their cell phone the way a crack addict would looking for their connection. And he said, the conversation is almost always the same. I'm going to be on TV in an hour, and I have no idea what the hell to say. What do you think I should talk about? And they're talking to somebody they think knows something about something. And he said, you're sitting in the back of the car looking like you're ready to take a nap. I said, I am ready to take a nap. And if you could wake me up as soon as we get into Manhattan, I'd appreciate it. And he just laughed. He said, so you are an expert. I said, well, I have a level of expertise. I always worry about the term expert. Um, But, yeah. But this is who they put in front of TV cameras. And you have people that will do anything, and I mean anything, to get airtime. And, in fact, I don't know if you folks know this, but when you're on television, they refer to the, the time you're going on as a hit. You know, they'll say to me, Mr. Cutler, your hit time is 3.42, hit time. And you think, hit? Uh, I'm not a mobster. I'm not going to kill somebody. What do you mean, hit? And one day in the green room, I was talking to one of their reporters, and we got into a discussion about the term hit. And he said, do you know why they call it a hit? I said, no. He said, because for the people that are desperate to get in front of the cameras, it's kind of like a crack addict taking a hit on that hash pipe or the crack pipe it gets their motor going they're energized by that hit i said wow so what you really have are people who during the pre-interview and they'll and they'll they've they've been through i don't know how many thousands of pre-interviews are you comfortable with taking this position or making that statement and my answer is no i mean unless it's what i believe no But there are people that will take any position on any topic, I'm convinced of it, so they can get their ugly mug on TV because that translates into book sales or it translates into speaking engagements or prestige or just the ego gratification. They need that hit. And there's not much that you can discuss in three and a half minutes in front of a television camera, I promise you. And all too frequently, these TV programs turn into food fights. Two people arguing about nonsense. 
that doesn't educate anyone. And there are presumptions made that don't get challenged. I remember the great uh, Krauthammer, Charles Krauthammer, saying, well, if immigrants have been living here for the last eight years or whatever the time period was, then certainly there's no reason to make them leave. Well, what no one ever asked is how do you figure out how long an illegal alien has been living in the United States? Now, there is a provision of law where if an alien is here illegally for more than 10 years and has either lawful immigrants or U.S. citizen relatives who would suffer if they were deported, and if that alien has a clean record, then they can seek to remain permanently in the United States. And that makes sense because we're doing it not for the alien, but for the family member who's either a United States citizen or a lawful immigrant. That's fine. But to turn around and say we're going to drop a net over a population of tens of millions of people who shouldn't be here, so many people that there will be no interviews, there will be no field investigation, and then make the presumption, well, they've been here for X number of years, the harsh reality is there's no way of knowing if these people have been here for three years or three minutes. But nobody ever challenges it. And if you keep repeating nonsense long enough, people start to believe that it's real and that it makes sense. One of the arguments that I've always heard, you've always heard it, well, if you can't deport them all, you may as well give them legal status. What? So if you're an artful dodger and evade law enforcement long enough, we should reward you? And so people say to me, well, Mr. Cutler, what would you do with these millions of people we can't catch? If we can't catch them, doesn't it make sense to give them legal status? I said, no. Well, what would you do with them? And I said, you know, Jews answer a question with another question, so I'm going to answer your question with another question. What should we do with people we don't catch? I said, what did the police do with shoplifters they don't catch or drunk drivers they don't catch? You catch as many as you can, you make them pay a serious price for their violations of law, and you publicize it, and you don't do anything to the people you don't catch. And people scratch their head, and they look at me, and they go, gee, I never thought of that. Oh, we've become that stupid? But you see, that's what happens when politicians who no longer seek to represent us but seek to deceive us and manipulate us. We're not getting representation but manipulation. And they manipulate us with these ridiculous arguments, but they keep repeating them. And this goes back to the notion of the big lie that the Nazis perfected. Tell a lie, make it a whopper, and repeat it every moment of every day as frequently as you can by as many people as you can, and it'll only take a couple of weeks and everybody will believe that this ridiculous lie is the absolute God's honest truth. What do you do with those you don't catch? My goodness gracious. And people actually fall for this nonsense. And the, the false suppositions. Well, if they've been here, if. There's a wonderful expression in Yiddish that translated, says, if. My grandmother had different genitalia. She would have been my grandfather. If. This if nonsense is ridiculous. These are false arguments that make no sense. But again, if you peddle them frequently enough, people will start to scratch their head and say, gee, how brilliant. Of course that's right. And you say, really? Explain it to me. The border wall is a wall of hate. It's designed to keep out Mexicans. Really? The border wall is not designed to keep anybody out. 
if the border wall was designed to keep people out of the United States, it would have blocked off the ports of entry, and then I might have agreed with you. The border wall was never designed to block ports of entry. It only blocks off the spaces between ports of entry. It's like the gates going into a football stadium or a baseball park. That's all it is. It's to funnel people in commerce through ports of entry so that people don't evade the vetting process. That's the only reason for the wall. Wall of hate. You hate people because you expect them to go through the front door and not climb through your bedroom window? Are you crazy? But how many people really believe that the border wall is designed to keep people out of the United States? And I can't tell you how many times that I've spoken to people at public speaking events when I say it, and their eyes get huge. They say, gee whiz, I never thought of that. I said, the border wall is not designed to keep people out. It's like the velvet rope at the bank that guides customers to the next available teller. The border wall is like the cattle run at the airport that guides passengers to the next available TSA agent. Think, folks. Ask questions. Don't take anyone's word for anything. There's a lot of con artists out there. And Americans are paying with their lives. And that's why you need to have these conversations with your neighbors and with your friends and with your family members. Not a fight, not an argument, not a, are you stupid? No, that doesn't do any good. Just sit down and ask them, would you get on an airplane if you saw people sneaking past TSA? I used that argument on Fox News. And they said, of course not. I said, then why in the world are we being forced to live among millions of aliens who, not unlike the guy that evades TSA, evaded the vetting process at ports of entry to gain entry? And it was, a, a, you know, one of those moments, you know. Oh, my gosh, I never thought of that. The fact, common sense, morality, the laws are all on our side. We need to become Americans again. We need to be looking out for each other again. We need to be celebrating the First Amendment again. We need to be willing to ask the questions and not be intimidated by the bullies who are trying to shut us up. There's a lot hanging in the balance. We're living in an incredibly dangerous era, and there's a lot of people who do not have our best interests at heart. And the saddest and most infuriating part of it is that many of those individuals are our supposed political leaders. This is not acceptable. We really need to ask a simple question of all politicians. How are your policies, how are your proposals in the best interest of the average American? I'd love someone to ask Biden that question. I don't think anyone has ever asked them specifically that question. How is taking down our borders helpful to America or Americans? It's a question you might want to ask your neighbors. I thank you for joining me. I hope you have a great weekend. Please remember, folks, democracy is not a spectator sport. Please check out my articles at frontpagemag.com and usinc.org, usinc.org. I have that article coming out hopefully in the beginning of the week. And check in again next week right here on the Michael Cutler Hour. See you then. So long for now. <laughs>